Our scripture reading this morning will be from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. Please follow along as I read 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you, excuse me, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to, teach, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for just but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies pre previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting, this, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hermenius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And the reading of God's word. Thank you, Tony. Well, I think most of you know that God has given a really precious relationship to Shelley and I uh, with Dave and Sue Dernlin. It's a relationship that we really, really treasure greatly. Uh, Shelley and I had the privilege of calling Dave our pastor for seven and a half years before we went to seminary, and the time that we spent there at their church in West Liberty, Ohio, Grace Chapel, we were, 
we were really grounded in the faith under his leadership and teaching. And as a mentor to me, uh, Dave poured his life into my life. Uh, he is really a spiritual father to me, and I consider myself to be a spiritual son. He often says he considers me one of his boys, uh, which is just a real privilege and delight. Um, our, our lives uh, have been and still are really uh, greatly impacted by, by Dave and Sue. Um, incidentally, pray for them. You know, they're one of our missionaries. It's kind of in retirement, but um, this a uh, number of weeks ago, uh, upon the request of a number of people down in Alabama, they are possibly planting a church. Uh, it seems like God might be moving in their midst, and uh, today is the third Sunday where they'll be meeting together uh, in their son's home, and uh, they're going to meet through the summer and see what the Lord does. Um, and he's asked us to, to pray for him in that that way. But we are just incredibly grateful to God for them um, in, in so many ways. Traveling with Dave over the last 20 years to Romania and Ukraine and Moldova has been one of those things that God has used to really teach me through his life, watching him interact with people. It taught me so much about life, about ministry, and we've, we're just very, very grateful. Now, this morning, I want you to suppose just for a minute that I got a personal letter from Dave Dernland. This letter was addressed to me, and it was filled with very specific and personal instructions for my life and for my ministry, a ministry here at Grace Hill Church. If I got a letter like that from Dave, what do you think I would do with it? <laughs> How would I respond? How, how would you respond to that letter? Well, I think we'd all read it in a heartbeat. And um, I would be eager to hear what he had to say. I think you would be eager to hear what he had to say. And because we love Dave, we would be quick to really take his message to heart. Well, today we are starting a new um, sermon series in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is a letter. It's a personal letter. Um, and I want to suggest it is really an extraordinary letter, uh, something with far more weight for our lives than even a personal letter we might receive from Dave Dernland. And over these next weeks, I want you to listen to this extraordinary letter. Um, why do I consider it so extraordinary? Well, we know it's from Paul. It is to Timothy. It's for the good of the church, which now incidentally includes you. But ultimately, it's for the glory of God. We're going to develop each of those points in more detail in a bit. But as we start, don't forget that through Paul, that though Paul is the human author of this letter, we know that God spoke through Paul uh, to Timothy and to the church there in Ephesus, and God the Spirit is still speaking through this letter today to you. Uh, we are taught uh, by God in Scripture that 
and I quote, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. That's an amazing truth. What we have in the Bible is the Word of God, as Tony's been teaching us from Sunday school over the last couple of weeks. If God were with us here today, speaking to you in an audible voice, He would need to say nothing more or nothing less than what we have in the Scriptures. All Scripture is used by God to give you everything that you need for life and godliness. The Bible is not ordinary. Paul is a human writer, but he was the human author carried along by the Holy Spirit so that the words that we have in 1 Timothy are the very words that God wants us to hear today from Him. That, that makes the Bible extraordinary. And that's why I want you to listen to this extraordinary letter. We're, we're told in verse 1 that it's from Paul. He's the human author. And in fact, he's an apostle. Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, an apostle had to have been with Jesus, witnessing his earthly life and ministry and teaching, including his death and his resurrection. But Paul was abnormally born. That's the way he referred to his conversion, and in particular, his call to apostleship. He said that because God didn't call Paul to himself until after Jesus had ascended into heaven to take his seat at the Father's right hand. Jesus revealed himself to Paul personally much later than the other apostles. Earlier, Paul, in fact, was an enemy of Christ, and he vehemently persecuted the early church. When Stephen was stoned in Acts 7, we're told that Saul, Paul, or Saul, was there giving his approval of that stoning. But on that road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, uh, he was going to Damascus to persecute the church. Nonetheless, Jesus spoke to Saul and called him to himself. God saved Paul and by the command of God became an apostle of Christ. Uh, Paul's life could not have been any more, uh, have had any more of a radical change of course than, than what took place in Paul's life. Um, it, it was all because of Christ Jesus, as he states here, be, because of God my Savior, because of Christ our hope. So verse 1 could not be clearer that Paul's life and ministry as, a, as an apostle was all because of God. And, and then in verse 2, Paul says even more. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So in this extraordinary letter, because of Christ Jesus, because of our Lord and our hope, because of God our Savior, uh, we, we have what we have in the, in the life of Paul and through the ministry of Paul. God saved Paul and commanded Paul to be an apostle of Jesus Christ Christ 
to the Gentiles. And Paul was a, once a persecutor of the church, but God changed his life and made him a champion of the gospel, a champion of the church. Uh, a quote that I stumbled across this week on Facebook of all places said this, the Apostle Paul entered heaven to the cheers of those he martyred. That is how the gospel works. Um, it's kind of an interesting quote. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ radically changes people. Uh, it, it, it transforms people who believe. That, that is an important theme in this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And Paul's life is a testament of that reality. So this letter is from Paul. It's to Timothy. Verse 2 says, To Timothy, my true child in the faith. So you'll remember that Paul had just begun his second missionary journey. Uh, Acts 15, verse 36, teaches us about that. And on this trip, he wanted to revisit churches from his first missionary journey. He wanted to go to them again and encourage them and strengthen them in the faith. And Barnabas had been a traveling companion, but Paul and Barnabas, as they were anticipating starting this second missionary church, uh, journey, Paul and Barnabas could not agree on what to do with Mark, John Mark. Mark had been with Paul earlier, but on that first missionary trip, quit halfway through the journey for whatever reason. Discouraged, uh, timid, afraid, we don't know exactly what it was, but he didn't stay the course. He quit and went, went back home. Um, but now Barnabas, on this second missionary journey, wants to take him along again. And Paul says, no way. And so Barnabas took Mark, and they went a different direction. They sailed to Cyprus, and Paul took Silas and went through Syria and Cilicia to strengthen the churches. We are then told in Acts 16 that when Paul and Silas came to Derbe and Lystra, a disciple named Timothy lived there. Uh, his mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was an unbelieving Greek. In fact, both his mother and his grandmother were believers, and they were told in 2 Timothy 3, they diligently taught scriptures, the scriptures to Timothy, even at a young age. And in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, verse 15, Paul says, it was this teaching of the Old Testament scriptures that prepared Timothy's life for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the church there in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy. And after Timothy, or Paul got to know Timothy a bit, Paul wanted to take Timothy along with him on this missionary journey. But first, Timothy needed to be circumcised. Now, that's a bit curious because in the previous chapter of Acts, Acts 15, the Jerusalem council had just confirmed that circumcision was not to be required for believing Gentiles. Circumcision doesn't save. It's not necessary for salvation. 
Um, that was chapter 15, and now, chapter 16, Paul circumcises Timothy. Why? Well, I think the answer to that is found in 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul, and the reasons given that Paul wanted to take Timothy with him, and in Paul's journeys, he would, he would normally go into a Jewish synagogue first to preach the gospel. But if Timothy was with him and he was uncircumcised, that would have become the issue. It would have been an unnecessary hindrance to the ministry that Paul wanted to have to the Jews in the synagogue. So, taking the step to be circumcised meant that an unnecessary hindrance to the gospel would be removed. And Timothy, as an adult, was willing to do that. It speaks of the heart and devotion that he had to Christ. And that began a lifelong relationship between Paul and Timothy. Paul was... Timothy's mentor. Uh, Timothy learned from Paul. Verse 2 says, Timothy became my true child in the faith. Uh, By true, it means he was sincere. He was genuine. And he would become invaluable to Paul. He meant so much to Paul in his journeys and his travels. I mean, we travel comfortably on airlines with Uh, people who bring us food and drink. Uh, We travel by train, by cars. Um, It's it's easy for us to travel compared to what it was then. But quite honestly, it's still tough today. By the time we make the journey over the ocean and we fly into Bucharest to make the train ride up to to the Damuk Valley, um, we're a bit tired. and, you know, you live through those circumstances, you see different things. Uh, we don't go because it's easy. And yet our travel today is easy compared to what it was for Paul. So what I'm saying, Timothy traveling with Paul meant a great deal to him. He was an invaluable help. Uh, li- listen to what Paul says about Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. This is... An amazing text. Paul says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. That's quite a testimony that Paul gave of this young man, Timothy. So, don't don't miss this as we begin this journey through uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy. Paul had been a persecutor of the church, but became a faithful follower of Jesus. He was a champion of the church. And it is all because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that radically changed his life. And and then there is Timothy. Though he grew up in a home with an unbelieving father, he had a faithful mother and grandmother that taught him scriptures which prepared him for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And, And now, as we heard a moment ago, 
the gospel transformed Timothy's life so much so that Paul says, I have no one else like him. Timothy took a genuine interest in others because of the work of the gospel in his life. This really is an extraordinary letter. It's from Paul, it's to Timothy, and in the second half of verse 2, Paul says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I think it's far too easy to overlook those words. It, it's too easy to treat them just as this mere formal greeting. It's just a nicety that really doesn't mean anything. But from what we have learned already just about Paul and Timothy and how their lives were saved by Christ Jesus, our, our Lord and our hope by God my Savior, you can understand why these words mean something. Grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's life and ministry would have been impossible without grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and, and Christ Jesus our Lord. And as Paul writes this letter to Timothy, a genuine and sincere follower of Jesus, but one who happens to struggle a bit with being timid in difficult situations, Paul wants very much for God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, to pour out His grace, mercy, and peace on Timothy. What a great way to begin this letter. It was written to Timothy, but make no mistake about it, it's for the good of the church, which now includes you. We'll talk more about this in two weeks, but verse three, in verse 3, we learn that Paul gave instructions. He gave commands to Timothy about what to do in the church in Ephesus. Paul is speaking to Timothy, but equipping him to be shepherd of the flock there in Ephesus. That's why this letter, along with 2 Timothy and Titus, are referred to as pastoral epistles. Uh, the work Timothy was given to do was pastoral in nature. But the content of this letter is not just for pastors. Rather, Paul teaches Timothy, so Timothy will teach the church how to live as a follower of Christ. Paul will demonstrate that those who believe the gospel will have their lives changed. They will be transformed. Sound doctrine will produce sound living. The gospel of Jesus Christ will produce the fruit of godliness. This is a certainty. This is certainly for the good of the church. And it is for the glory of God. Paul, when, when Paul tells the story, Tim read these verses as we began today, but when Paul tells the story of how God saved him and transformed, he he breaks into doxology in verse 17 to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. A verse that we now have on our banner here in our front, thanks to Rebecca. Um, it looks great. 
And again, in chapter 6, verse 15 through 16, as Paul uh, charges Timothy, Paul's writing this letter, he charges Timothy with the weightiness of keeping all of these instructions. And again, Paul breaks out in doxology. He says in verse 15 and 16, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. That was the driving force in Paul's life. Something that's summarized in 1 Corinthians 10.31, which says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That, that's really what's at stake in our lives, in your lives. That's the opportunity. That's what we've been called to do. The opportunity we have when God, our Savior, saves us through Christ Jesus, our Lord and our hope. We have the responsibility to live and to do everything that we do for the glory of God. That, this is an extraordinary letter. But this morning, I also want you to listen to this extraordinary letter, which was really given in an extraordinary time. The first thing that we learn is that it was written near the end of Paul's life. And what a life it was. Saul was born in Tarsus, an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin, was also a Roman citizen. He was trained as a Pharisee by Gamaliel. He was present and approving of the stoning of Stephen. But on that road to Damascus, he was arrested by Jesus when Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why, why do you persecute me? God, God saved him. God appointed him to be an apostle to the Gentiles and would even use him to write 13, at least 13 of the 27 New Testament books and letters. Paul would take three, at least three, missionary journeys which we learn about in Acts. Paul, Paul had many opportunities to make Christ known, going first to the Jews when he entered into a new city, and when he was rejected by them, he would go to the Gentiles. And, and in doing that, he faced all sorts of obstacles and challenges. Acts 28 ends with Paul in a Roman prison. Yet, the very last verse of Acts 28 says, he was there proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. <laughs> now, I think it's likely that Paul was released from that prison in maybe 62 A.D., and then for several years was able to continue traveling and making known the gospel. Maybe even got to Spain. He tells us that's what he wanted to do. Um, it, it is believed that Paul was again arrested in prison and then eventually martyred in Rome um, around the, the year 67 A.D. So it is believed that Paul wrote these pastoral epistles sometime between 62 and 67 A.D. And that, 
very tail end of his life. Um, 2 Timothy being the, the letter that was written closest to his death. I, I, I say all of that to say this, that what we have in this letter to Timothy comes from a mature, seasoned follower of Jesus. Paul had some 30 plus years of ministry experience. He wasn't a novice. He, he endured many, uh, many sufferings. Jesus proved himself again and again to Paul. There's, he talks about how when he was mistreated, everyone deserted him, but the Lord stood with him and defended him. God was faithful to him again and again. Paul, Paul was even able to say in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So this is the man that wrote this letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy. And I'm going to argue throughout this study that this letter was written to urge Timothy and to urge you to fight the good fight of the faith. To fight the good fight of the faith. Uh, those were the words Paul said to Timothy in chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Now, earlier in chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, Paul said something similar. He said this, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So, fight the good fight of the fight. Wage this good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. He says, by rejecting these, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So I think this is why Paul wrote to Timothy, to encourage, to exhort, to urge him to fight the good fight of faith. Paul wanted Timothy to be faithful to the end. And in this letter, there are numerous commands that Paul gives to Timothy to show him how to do that. If you're going to be faithful to the end, if you're going to fight the good fight of the faith that you've been called to by Jesus, here are some of the things that you must do. I'm going to kind of just walk through quickly, and over the coming weeks we're going to develop this. Chapter 1, verse 3, charge certain persons not to teach false doctrines. That was, I mean, Paul led off with that. Charge certain persons not to teach false doctrines. Obviously, that was going on there in the church of Ephesus. Paul was concerned about that. Chapter 1, verse 18, wage the good warfare. So there's no room for being timid. Wage the good warfare. Chapter 2, verse 1, be devoted to praying publicly for all sorts of people, even civil authorities. Chapter 3, verse 2, make sure that overseers are mature and qualified to lead. Chapter 3, verse 14, or ver verse 8, make sure deacons are faithful in service before giving them additional responsibilities. Chapter 3, verse 14, make sure you function properly as a church. 
Chapter 4, verse 6, make sure you teach the church all of these things. Chapter 4, verse 7, train yourself to be godly. And, and if you're godly, you're developing the character of Christ for the praise of God's glory. Chapter 4, verse 12, be devoted to the public reading of Scripture. The importance of just simply reading the Scriptures and to exhortation and to teaching. Chapter, verse, chapter 4, verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in them, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And there is, there is great weightiness on, on what we say as elders. We talked about this this morning as we were preparing for today, praying for today. There is great weightiness um, on what we do with Scripture, how we handle Scripture, how we teach Scripture. It impacts our own lives, but it impacts you who hear our teaching. Pray for us. But here, Paul says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself, on your life, and on your teaching. And, and keep doing that. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Make sure the church gives proper care to all people in the church in all stages of life. Chapter 5, verse 21. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging and doing nothing from partiality. Chapter 6, verse 2, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Chapter 6, verse 6, be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Chapter 6, verse 11, flee from the love of money. Instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Chapter 6, verse 14, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 6, verse 20, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Chapter 6, verse 21, grace be with you. Now, all of these commandments and exhortations were given to Timothy to urge him to fight the good fight of the faith. Um, they would be impossible without the gospel. And as one commentator has said, the gospel leads to practical, visible change in lives of people who believe it. Uh, right doctrine goes hand in hand with right living. So, this was needed. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. It was needed because of the presence of influential false teachers there in Ephesus. Some false teachers were misusing the law, some were advocating for abstaining from certain foods and even from marriage. And Paul urged Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, which always required sound doctrine, 
which accords with godly living. It was needed then, it's needing now, it's needed today because of the presence of influential false teachers. That problem is ongoing and we have to pay careful attention to, and we need to learn from what Paul says to Timothy here in this letter. So as, as we begin this new study, I'm excited about this new study. I think the question for us is this, are you ready to fight the good fight of faith? Are you ready to fight the good fight of faith? Wage the good warfare. Um, fight the good fight of the faith. And this letter is going to teach us how to do that very thing. And so I ask you to join me over these next weeks in doing that very thing. Let's pray together. Father, it is with humble hearts, thankful hearts, that we have opened up your word today. We're reminded that you are our Savior, Jesus Christ is our hope, and it's because of the work that you have done to save us through the gospel that we're here, we, we have a desire to listen to you, we have a desire to obey you, we have a desire to pay attention to our own life and doctrine, and we, we want to guard that good deposit that has been entrusted to us. We, we want to fight the good fight of the faith. Don't let us get distracted by things that are not important. Help us to see clearly as you teach us through this letter, what we ought to be doing if we are intent on fighting the good fight of the faith. Give us teachable spirits. Uh, continue your work of transforming us. And through all of the things that you do in us and through us, we pray that you will be glorified. You, you deserve that. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now please stand with us.